Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Deborah's home was stolen. No, I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls title theft one of the fastest-growing white-collar crimes. And this story is why you need home title lock. Deborah says criminals found the title to our home online and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned our home. Wait, it gets worse. Deborah goes on to say, I was evicted from my own home and 85 grand in equity, gone. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily. This is why you need home title lock, because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. First things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if your home's title has been tampered with. You need to protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. Go to HomeTitleLock.com now for 60 risk-free days of protection. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back to the Tom Hartman Program, broadcasting on commercial radio stations from coast to coast on Sirius XM all across the North American continent, on Pacifica stations across America, Europe, and Africa, on American Forces Radio, and every U.S. military base in the world, and your electronic device via TuneIn, Progressive Voices, Tom Hartman app, and simulcast as television via Free Speech TV Network on Dish Network, DirecTV, and cable systems all over the country. By the way, you know, the press is reporting, and reporting widely that the Bloomberg campaign, which is up to now $400 billion in spending, which is pretty shocking. I mean, $400 billion is a heck of a lot of money. That the Bloomberg campaign has been paying influencers, you know, people on Instagram and others, to say nice things about Bloomberg. It got even weirder right here on this show, in this show. You know, I mean, you know, we were on yesterday, we got several calls from people who were like, well, Bloomberg is okay, and well, Bernie is terrible or whatever. And every single one of them were calls from people who had never called the show before. Uh, you know, our, our call screen software keeps track. You know, if you call in and Joyce puts your name in, you know, you're John in Jeffersonville, Ohio. I see he's on the board right now. Uh, the next time John calls, it'll recognize his phone number and she will just know who he is. And so we know when somebody's ever called before. Now, we don't share that information with anybody. It's just, you know, in the database for the call screen software, um, which makes it easier for us and for Joyce. Basically, that's it. And also, you know, when somebody's a troll or a fool or whatever, um, we can flag them for future. But when somebody calls, there's never, when you get a whole bunch of calls from people who have never called before, all on the same topic, that's kind of a flag that something's going on. And that's what happened yesterday with those Bloomberg calls. And then I got this email from Nigel Peacock. Nigel is the guy who, uh, uh, you know, he, he basically runs a lot of our internet operations. I refer to him as our webmaster, but he's much more than that. And, uh, and, and involved in the radio business himself as well uh, in the UK, which is where he lives. And Nigel's uh, one of my oldest and dearest friends. I, I've known Nigel for, geez, it seems like 20, 30 years at least. Um, and so anyhow, he, he sent me this email yesterday. He says, you mentioned Bloomberg bots close to the end of the program in the YouTube chat. See, we, we, we simulcast, we live stream our, our show on YouTube and Facebook Live as well as, you know, everywhere else. And uh, there's a chat room attached to our YouTube stream. And so he says, in YouTube chat, we have had a constant Bloomberg troll that posts the same things over and over. The moderator team lock them out all the time. And we have to be, and we have... 
uh, to be up to we, we are up to 70 separate lockouts now over the past uh, few weeks. They simply open a new email and a new YouTube account and come back again. Today we locked out eight different accounts in less than 90 minutes. They are clearly using the same artificial intelligence software as the porn bots we also suffer. And yeah, we you know we get that too, um, as I, I I imagine all chat rooms do. Uh, he says it's the identical way of posting and clearly the porn software artificial intelligence. While we have no proof, it is clear that someone is being paid to troll for Bloomberg. So, I, you know, I noticed on, on Twitter that uh, a couple of my colleagues, um, uh, Leslie Marshall and um, let's see, who else was it? Uh, let me just check the Twitter feed here. Um, yeah, it was Leslie Marshall and uh, maybe it was just Leslie. Um, but in any case, you know, a couple of, of uh, my colleagues who do, you know, progressive radio shows uh, were basically being trolled themselves. And, and, you know, my, oh, and Nicole Sandler. And my advice, and, and hey, Leslie, hey, Nicole, they, they do great shows. If you don't know about these, uh, these folks, check them out. And, uh, you know, the trolls are out. And now we're hearing from the, uh, from the, from the media that a week ago yesterday, the, the Trump administration intelligence officials, this is the, the, you know, from, this is through the office of the Director of National Intelligence, Joseph McGuire's office, that his assistant, his number two, Shelby Pearson, uh, did her job. She did exactly what the law requires. Uh, she has to, the, 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 the Office of National Intelligence has to report periodically to the Intelligence Committee, and that's the committee chaired by Adam Schiff, number two guy is Devin Nunes, has to go to that committee several times a year and update that committee on what is the situation with the United States national security. And, you know, you want that to happen. We all want that to happen. And that, that's a good thing, right? The report said that the Russians are actually already trying to interfere in the 2020 election. Now, we don't know any of the details of how. We don't know if it's like, oh, they're trying to hack into voting machines or voting tabulators or statewide systems or whether it's interference with, uh, you know, as we saw in the last, uh, in 2016, um, uh, you know, you know, large structures of of uh, uh, bots and whatnot on and and messages and things on on facebook and on twitter you know and social media particularly facebook uh we just don't know exactly what they're talking about when they say russian interference but they said that this is happening and trump's response to this and and it was amazing i saw uh, jim shuto i believe it is this morning the the white house reporter for cnn uh, was on tv and he just came right out and said it he said you know the russians helped donald trump get elected in 2016 and they're trying to do it again uh, that's not necessarily a verbatim quote, but it's the essence of what he said. And it's been a while, you know. The, I mean, we've known this now for three years. I've been talking about it on this show for three years. Um, Donald Trump has been denying it. And now, oh, by the way, uh, the, the uh, lawyers for uh, Julian Assange, we reported this day before yesterday, the lawyers for Julian Assange had said in court in London, uh, you know, where you go to jail if you lie in court, right, um, have said that Donald Trump offered through Dana Rohrabacher, who is, you know, one of the members of the House of Representatives. He, he no longer is. He lost his last election, but um, and uh, and now he's a lobbyist or something. But but um, who was, you know, generally considered to be one of the more Russia friendly members of the House of Representatives. And, and on its face, I suppose there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, we, we want to have good relations with other countries, including Russia. Just put that out. But that Dana Rohrabacher uh, went over to the UK and had a private meeting with, with him, with Julian Assange, in which he told him that if Julian Assange would publicly state that none of the information that, that WikiLeaks released that came from the DNC hack had come from or via Russia, that he could get Julian Assange a pardon from Donald Trump. And it turns out that Dana Rohrabacher now, this was last night, I believe, or maybe yesterday afternoon, came out and did an interview with a, a member of the media and actually said, yes, that's exactly what happened. And I had the conversation with John Kelly. He said he didn't actually talk to Trump about it, but he talked with the chief of staff, John Kelly, about it. And, uh, you know, there was never any follow-up 
uh, presumably because Julian Assange never made the statement. But, you know, we don't have the smoking gun, but we do have the event. And so anyhow, the intelligence community says, yeah, Russia's trying to do this, and they're trying to do it in favor of Trump, just like 2016. So what does Trump do? He fires the director of national intelligence, Joseph McGuire. Says, that's it. This guy who's got all kinds of intelligence expertise, he's out. We're going to get rid of him, and we're going to replace him with a guy who has no experience with intelligence, none whatsoever, who's a right-wing basic hate monger, you know, who's, and, and who so offended the German government uh, when he first was made uh, ambassador to Germany. He's a big Trump donor and a big Trump guy that, uh, and, and is trying to replace him with this guy. But the Office of National Intelligence, the ONI, uh, apparently is freaking out. Our, our, our senior intelligence officials, because Trump doesn't want to hear this. And of course, the reason why, the obvious reason why, is that he feels that when you say that the Russians helped him get elected, it means he's not a legitimate president. And of course, he's not a legitimate president. He didn't win the popular vote. I don't think he actually even won the Electoral College. And the only reason that the numbers were what they were was because of voter suppression in those states. I just wrote a book about that, The Hidden History of the War on Voting. And you go to page 92 and it tells you, you know, Hillary Clinton actually won Florida. She actually won North Carolina. She actually won Wisconsin. She actually won Pennsylvania. The exit polls are right there. It tells you this. But voter suppression handed those states to Donald Trump and made him president, which is frankly a crime. Joseph McGuire and Shelby Pearson did their work. And so now... Trump is putting in Cash Patel, this guy who has been working with Devin Nunes. Actually, when the briefing happened, when the intelligence community was briefed, Devin Nunes ran over to the White House to tell Trump about it and say, oh, my God, oh, my God, Adam Schiff was in the room. And Trump was like, Democrats are going to weaponize that. Well, shouldn't you be doing something about this? And by the way, it appears that it's not just Russia. So who else is interfering in our elections? Is it Saudi Arabia? We know Trump is good buddies with Mohammed bin Bonesaw. But do we have interference again? This was Seth Abramson's conclusion from his book, Proof of Conspiracy, that there are billionaires in Israel who are trying to insert themselves into our election. Is it Turkey? Is it his buddy Erdogan? Or actually, he's Erdogan's buddy. Trump keeps doing what Erdogan tells us. Stab the Kurds in the back. Trump says, okay, cool. Now that you've got 900,000 refugees in Syria, literally. I mean, just think about that for a minute. These are families, mostly middle-class families, people like you and me, who suddenly had to flee their homes because they're being bombed with their children and all their possessions on the top of their cars. And they're going to these camps out in the desert, all because Trump took orders from Erdogan. I mean, this is crazy. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We have a guy in the White House who is a money launderer for these oligarchs in these countries and now is trying to cover it up. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Today's book in our book club is The Hidden History of the War on Voting, Who Stole Your Vote and How to Get It Back by this guy, Tom Hartman. Uh, This is from chapter one, or from the introduction, actually. In 2016, 6% of Americans who were eligible to vote nominated Donald Trump as the GOP's presidential candidate. It was 8% for Hillary Clinton on the Democratic side. Trump went on to be elected president by 26% of eligible voters. The modern American oligarchs have largely stayed in power using three simple elements. Explicit overt racism, massive disinformation campaigns, and voter suppression. No ideas. No push for better schools, hospitals, airports, roads, or bridges, or reform of our health, energy, or financial systems. No promise of more and better jobs. None of these staples of past presidential campaigns can be found in pretty much any Republican advertising today. Instead, the public Republican message is all about race, or the subset of race, religion. Muslim stands in for brown Arab in GOP speak, and immigration, a.k.a. brown people from south of our border, and socialism. Meanwhile, Republican secretaries of state across the nation are vigorously purging voters from the rolls. Over 17 million, more than 10% of America's active voters, in just the 2016-2018 period, according to NBC News. After the five Republican appointees on the U.S. Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act in 2013, 14 GOP-controlled states moved within a year, some within days, to restrict access to the vote particularly for communities of color, students, and retired people. 
In North Carolina, for example, 158 polling places were permanently closed in the 40 counties with the most African-American voters just before the 2016 election, leading to a 16% decline in African-American early voting in that state. An MIT study found that nationwide, Hispanic voters wait 150% longer in line than white voters, and black voters can expect to wait 200% longer in line to vote. In Indiana, then-Governor Mike Pence's new rigorous voter ID law caused an 11.5% drop in African-American voting. Students are suing for their right to vote, and retired people who no longer drive but care passionately about their Social Security and Medicare are being turned away at the polls by the hundreds of thousands because their driver's licenses have expired. The obvious failure of 40-plus years of Reaganomics and GOP policies to maintain a functional middle class in America has been a problem for the modern GOP. In 1974, for example, the GOP had outright control of only seven states. The message, elect us and we'll help the rich people, just didn't generally resonate with American voters. It's the reason why, outside of the fluke elections of 46 and 52, Democrats controlled the House of Representatives outright for three generations, from 1933 to 1996, and controlled the Senate for most of that time. Desperate to win the presidency for the GOP in 1968, Richard Nixon went so far as to commit treason by torpedoing a peace deal with President Lyndon Johnson that President Lyndon Johnson had worked out with the North and South Vietnamese. According to Abul Hassan Bani Sadr, then president of Iran, Ronald Reagan did the same thing by cutting a deal with Iran whereby they would hold on to the U.S. Embassy hostages until after the 1980 presidential election torpedoing Jimmy Carter's chances of re-election. But in 2000, the GOP changed tactics. After Reagan was almost busted for his part in Iran-Contra, he testified that he had forgotten about details of the program more than 80 times. His growing Alzheimer's spared him an indictment. They realized that getting busted for treason wasn't worth the risk. They needed a plan B. And it was deliciously simple. If most voters don't like what you're selling, then just don't let them vote. Paul Weyrich promoted this idea back in 1980 when he was campaigning for Reagan after co-founding the Heritage Foundation. And indeed, many Republican luminaries, such as William Rehnquist, who went from serving the GOP by standing in polling places and intimidating Hispanic and Native American voters in the 1960s to becoming Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, rose up through the ranks by participating in Republican-run voter intimidation schemes. Voter suppression became the foundational go-to tactic for the GOP in 2000. Although the GOP attacked Democratic presidential nominee Al Gore with smear and innuendo, ridiculing him for helping write the legislation that created the modern internet, for example, the main thing that got George W. Bush into the White House was voter suppression. His brother, Florida Governor Jeb Bush, and Bush's Secretary of State, Katherine Harris, threw somewhere between 20,000 and 90,000 African-American voters off the rolls. They were able to get the vote close enough that five Republican appointees to the Supreme Court functionally awarded Bush the presidency. The BBC covered this in 2001 in two major investigative reports that were seen all over the world, except on any American media. By 2016, the Republican Party had fine-tuned its voter suppression and intimidation systems to the point that they ran like well-oiled machines in nearly 30 states. Between the 2012 and 2016 presidential elections, for example, Ohio had purged more than 2 million voters from its rolls, the vast majority, more than 2 to 1, in heavily African-American and Hispanic counties. The five Republican appointees on the Supreme Court ruled in 2017 that they could keep it up, and other states have since adopted their new tactic of caging voters. The book, The Hidden History of the War on Voting, by me. Lara in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, Lara, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's on your mind today? I am really concerned about the election, and Me I know too. everybody else has been talking about it, but it, is there any way that any of our past presidents can step in and make sure that it's a legitimate You know, the election? Carter Center used to uh, certify, I mean, they certify elections all over the world, and they used to do some in the United States, but um, the Republican states have banned them. In fact, I believe, I think it was the 2004 election, the Carter Center was trying to certify an election in Mississippi, as I recall. It was one of the southern states. They were threatened with arrest. I don't see that happening. 
and particularly in the red states. I, I don't see any good government stuff going on here. The Republican Party is completely committed to suppressing the vote, uh, to stealing the vote, basically. I mean, you know, we should call voter suppression what it is, vote stealing. And, uh, you know, that's why I wrote this book, The Hidden History of the War on Voting. And it lays out, you know, all all of the ways that Republicans are stealing your vote and the ways that you can fight back against it. And, and you know, this is stuff that we, we need to be doing. We need to be paying attention to. Mike in Chicago. Hey, Mike, thanks for listening to WCPT. What's up? From what you just said, uh, and your guest that came out with the book Dark Tower, how could we even say that America is the home of the brave and the land of the free when we cannot guarantee that our votes are going to be counted. We can't guarantee safety amongst the people that live in this country. And we can't guarantee and that our president's not an agent of a foreign country. Absolutely. So my question is, why isn't the media, the news outlets, the newspapers, uh, although you have individuals who write books, Call Donald Trump out for what he is. He's a traitor. He is a collaborator. <clears throat> also an asset to the Russian government that is helping bring this country down. And everything that he's done and everything that he has said has been for the benefit of Putin. And no one and, will and call Trump. him out on it. And, and Trump. And, uh, you know, and I think that you know, Trump has been laundering money for Russian oligarchs and other oligarchs around the world for so long that they basically own him. That's my personal opinion. And, and, I, think that, uh, and I think that the reason why the media isn't talking about this, uh, I mean, to some extent they dance around it, but they're trying to be reporters as opposed to, to you know, offering editorial insights. Increasingly, people are calling Trump out for what he apparently is, and that's a good thing. We'll be back. Conrad in San Diego. Hey, Conrad, what's up? What's on your mind today? I live in Southern California, and my California vote in the primary, the last primaries between Hillary and Bernie, mm -hmm. was stolen from me. How do you know? I, I'm a bit of a romantic. I like to even walk to my voting station, so I never signed up for a mail-in ballot. Well, I got a mail-in ballot that year, mm -hmm. thought nothing of it. Uh, of course, I'm disorganized, so I lost it. Go to the, my polling station, and they can't let me vote except through a provisional ballot, which we know doesn't get counted, right. because I couldn't surrender my mail-in ballot. Right. Well, right. I just, I just this happens to about 26% of California voters, according to an earlier caller. I, don't, I, I can't say that authoritatively, but this was a widespread problem um, that appeared to happen in the 2016 primary, and nobody knows why. Yeah, I'll tell you why. <laughs> um, because I was a Bernie guy. And uh, a woman walked in at the same, uh, just behind me, and I forget what was on her T-shirt, but she was pretty obviously a Bernie guy, too. She was... She had to give a provisional ballot as well. Right. No one else was. It was a very Republican area. Uh, Palace was on another show about nine days ago, and he mentions that this is being done deliberately. It is a uh, it is a ploy that if you are a California voter, your vote is not safe. You, you've got to, uh, we've got to be, so if you could have him on before March 3rd, that'd be a good, a really well, good Well, we thing. talked about the, Greg Palestine talked about this uh, last week. Well, actually, we talked about it at an event that KPFK put on, so it, it wasn't on the air. Um, mm. But, but yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. If you, if, uh, and when you show up, it'll say MV, MIB or M, mail. anyhow, it's a three-letter initial that stands for mail-in ballot, that you're a mail-in ballot voter. And if you don't bring that ballot with you to the uh, polling place, if you if you didn't yeah. fill in the mail-in ballot and send it in, then uh, you will be given a provisional ballot, which may or may not be counted. Um, actually, uh, about uh, a lot of the, of the provisional ballots in the last California election actually were counted, but uh, mm. this just adds a whole level of complexity that is terrible, and yeah. uh, something needs to be done about it. Conrad, thank you for the call. It's a good one. Anthony in Los Angeles. Hey, Anthony, what's up? So uh, I lived in Los Angeles pretty much my whole life. A couple years ago, I took a break, explored the country, and I ended up in Kansas in 2018 where we helped like Laura Kelly and took out uh, Chris Kobach. Mm -hmm. And um, we've got to win the Electoral College. That's all it comes down to. We've got the numbers, but look, the, the EC isn't going away. So what we need to do 
is identify a couple of these toss-up states with really close polls, especially helps if there's a close Senate race. I'm looking at Arizona. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to move there. Now, it's up to everybody. You have to follow the law. But what you can do is you can move there a couple months before the election, sleep on a couch if you need to, rent a room. I don't care. You don't have to stay there your whole life, but you got to vote there. So identify these states. And that's what we got to do. We've got to make well, sure you've got to if you're going to do that, you've got to move to a state early enough to be able to legally register to vote. And and just right. just doing this to kind of to try to swing elections, you know, a there's not enough people who would have the ability to do that, who would have the economic freedom to do that. And 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 B, it's that it's a little sketchy, Anthony. I get what you're doing and, and I wish you well. But but I can't I can't recommend that people do that. I I, I would rather see people you know, uh, phone banking, calling into red states, talking to, to people who are, you know, stuck in red states, who are watching Fox News, who are badly informed, malinformed, misinformed, underinformed, and and bring them up to speed or go visit those states and engage in get out the vote drives. I mean, rather than moving to Arizona, why don't you go to Arizona for a couple of months and, and you know, if you have the economic freedom to do that and be one of the people who drives people to the polls on, on voting day, be one of the people who, who makes sure that people are registered to vote, you know, be that shoe leather on the ground. Jesse in Seattle. Hey, Jesse, thanks for listening to KBCS. What's up? Uh, two information uh, recommendations for you and the listeners. First is the iNaturalist phone app. And second, of course, the uh, Federal Election Commission FEC website. Uh, so for the iNaturalist phone app, uh, this is for our mutual admiration of biodiversity. Uh, the app allows you to uh, see what species of plant, uh, animal, and insects are in your geographical area <laughs> and allows you to uh, photograph uh, and upload plants, animals, and insects and have the app identify them. And then the naturalist and scientist community uh, confirms the species that you identified or cool. that the phone app identified. Yeah, so uh, I really enjoy using it. I recommend uh, anybody out there that uh, wants to know what plants and animals are uh, in their area to mm-hmm. utilize that. And then the FEC uh, website, um, all the campaign federal election commission. data. Right. Yeah, 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 Federal Election Commission. Um, all campaign contribution data is public. You just have to know how to uh, search and sift through the data. Um, and even though the FEC lacks, there form, there is a group, uh, Jesse, oh, yeah. that has oh, yeah, already ahead. searched, yeah. uh, has already sorted and searched that data, and that's uh, over at the website OpenSecrets.org, and oh. and you oh, can perfect. select any member of Congress, and you can see you know who gave them and how much and when and where and all the details, and uh, so they're taking that data from the FEC website and and putting oh. it in a form that's a little more accessible. But you're right, it's also on the oh. FEC website. So Jesse, perfect. I got to run. Thank but you. Thanks for the call. Good stuff. Good stuff and I'll check out the app, assuming you're not just trying to promote an app that you, uh, I'm assuming, whatever, whatever. It sounds like a good thing. We'll be back. It's 45 minutes past the hour here on the Tom Hartman program. Talk media for the sane among us. Is the bane of your life wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags? Well, there's something you can do about it, and I'm not talking about risky, expensive surgery. Just imagine that they're gone in minutes. It's called Plexiderm, a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. It's literally the edge you've been looking for. Don't believe it? Uh, try it out. You'll be absolutely astonished. It'll, it'll take 10 years off your appearance. Plexiderm can give you the confidence you'll need to be yourself at work or out with friends. And the best part is Plexiderm goes on clear, so nobody will know you're using it, unless, of course, you tell them. Go to TryPlexiderm.com and use my code VOICES for 50% off a full-size bottle of Plexiderm, plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This this offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit TryPlexiderm.com today and use the code VOICES at checkout. That's TryPlexiderm.com, code VOICES. This is absolutely mind-boggling, this story. It's over the top of the Guardian. It's at the top of Raw Story. It's popping up all over the place. Donald Trump offered Julian Assange a pardon. If he would say that Russia hadn't provided WikiLeaks with the hacked DNC information, this is just breathtaking. Is Donald Trump, I think it's time to ask again, you know, if, if Donald Trump is actually, where is his primary loyalty and why? 
And I'm guessing that we're going to discover that a lot of his primary loyalty is to Russian oligarchs who he's been laundering money for for decades. And not just Russian oligarchs. I mean, you've got Turkey telling him to, to stab the Kurds in the back because he's got a couple of Trump Towers in Turkey. And, and it just goes on and on from there. I mean, he is the guy that Hamilton warned us about in Federalist 86 when he talked, or 68, when he talked about how we had to have the Electoral College to keep people from, of low character and foreign uh, entanglement from uh, getting into the White House. So anyhow, we're live from, uh, from uh, Bellevue College here in Seattle, and, or in Bellevue, you know, suburban Seattle. Tonight I'll be at Town Hall. Uh, KBCS is our affiliate here, kbcs.fm, if you want to check them out. And we have people in the studio audience. You have a, a question. Yes, I do. My name is Winona, and I'm from Seattle. And I'm here and glad to be in this audience this afternoon. Thank you. And my um, question is, um, and it's, let me just preface the question by saying I'm a former national delegate for President Obama. And so four years ago, I was really motivated and really charged up and doing what I felt I needed to do as a citizen. And what I'm saying now is that there are people that were that charged up and that committed, and I don't see that same level of energy. And I believe that we need to get recharged we need to get the student vote out. We need to get the black vote out. We need to get the women's vote out. We need to get the Me Too vote out. We need to bring all of us together as a forum to move forward. Now, your book on voting, The Secret of Voting, really energized me. And I'm ready to get back on it and go forward. And I'm encouraging all those listeners that are out there today that we need to get charged. And I'd like for you just to tell us just a snippet of how you wove into your book the excitement that I found as a reader to get going, to get charged, and to get moving. So thank you. That's a great one. Thank you. Winona, you said? Yeah, thank you, Winona. That's a, that's a great question. Um, and, 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 you know, the simple reality is that, that uh, there is energy out there. I mean, we had, a, we had somebody call in earlier who was at the Bernie event here in town and, and said that the stadium hold, or the auditorium held 22,000 people and there were 3,000 people standing on, you know, in the, uh, down below, you know, um, that, that it, it was literally 25,000 people that, that um, when I was in uh, San Francisco, um, I, you know, I, I, I seem to be competing with Bernie on this book tour because I was in San Francisco the same night that he was there, too. And, um, and, and he had, I think it was 17,000 people. I mean, those are Obama-sized crowds. Uh, Bernie is pulling Obama-sized crowds. And Obama energized the Democratic base like nobody's business. I mean, he was just like, not only was it that it was a historic and wonderful thing to have our first black president, but also he was a brilliant politician. He was, and he was articulating progressive values broadly and, 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 and said them in, in ways that were understandable to the average American. And, and, and I see Bernie Sanders doing that. I see Elizabeth Warren doing that. And, and I think the other, many of the other Democratic candidates are doing that to an extent that is perfectly acceptable to me. Uh, although I wouldn't be, I'm not quite as passionate about right now. But I, what, the one thing that I am passionate about is not having any more Donald Trump in the White House, any more of this swamp, uh, these swamp dwellers. I mean, this is just, we have now the most evil, corrupt, disgusting, uh, reprehensible um, uh, man, human being, to ever occupy the White House, in my opinion. And we've had some pretty corrupt people. I mean, you go back and you look at Andrew, uh, Andrew Jackson, for example, you know, um, you know, just killing Native Americans, the Trail of Tears, and all those things. And of course, he was supposed to be taken off the $20 bill and replaced by Harriet Tubman, and Donald Trump put an end to that. That was supposed to happen two years ago. And so, 
Um, this is why I say, you know, I'm I'm no fan of Michael Bloomberg, uh, you know, for example, and 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 I'm and I'm. Uh, you know, I think that uh, Joe Biden or Amy Klobuchar would be great presidents, um, or Pete Buttigieg. I think they make great presidents, but they don't—they don't represent the values of Franklin Roosevelt and Lyndon Johnson with the Great Society and, and the New Deal. Um, but I think that you know, a even if they just hold to those so-called moderate positions, um, that's still moving America forward, given how far backwards we've slid with the Bush administration and the Trump administration. And so it's, I think it's, regardless of who our nominee is, and, and increasingly, again, Bernie's got the energy, and Bernie, I think, is the one who can turn out the base, and therefore, I think Bernie is the one who can overwhelmingly beat Trump. And I think Elizabeth Warren can catch that energy if for any reason, God forbid, you know, Bernie were to not be available. Um, or if she ends up, you know, go, going up ahead of him. Say so what? And, oh, thank you. And... Um, so, you know, this is, this is why I wrote the book, the, you know, The Hidden History of the War on Voting. The principal tool that the Republican Party is using right now, back in the day, uh, back before Reagan became president, the Republican Party um, was trying to sell I, basically Democratic ideas light. You know, Dwight Eisenhower's presidency, he bragged in 1956 in his re-election campaign that he'd added 2 million people to union roles and 3 million people to Social Security. Um, he was saying, and, and the Republicans back then, they were saying, and even with the Brown decision, you know, there were outliers who hated the Brown decision in the Republican Party. Uh, mostly it was Democrats in the South, frankly. But, but they were saying, yes, let's move toward you know, integration. Let's move toward a more pluralistic, egalitarian society, but just let's do it more gradually. And that was the old Republican Party. But after 1980, the Republican Party just became the complete sellout party. They became the party of big business and big corporations, and to hell with everybody else. And they enthusiastically reached out to the Southern racists after after Lyndon Johnson abandoned them, and and you know with the Civil Rights Act, and. And, and they're, they're becoming the party of fear. You know, look out for those brown people south of the border who are coming. And, you know, what did Julio say? They brought some parasite with them. I mean, for God's sake, this is not America. These, these are not, you know, th these are not our values. So um, the principal tool that the Republican Party is using now to hold on to elections and the main reason why George W. Bush was president and why Donald Trump is sitting in the White House and why at least a half a dozen Republican senators are in the United States Senate and probably at least 50 mem Republican members of the House of Representatives is because they have succeeded in promoting this voter suppression program in red state after red state after red state. And this is where you see the red shift that I read about in the book. And we just have to push back on that. And we have to tell all our friends in red states, if you, you know, double check your voter registration, because if you have a, a name that is a common African-American or Hispanic name, odds are you're going to be knocked off the voting rolls. If you live in a big city, if you live in a university town, odds are you're going to be knocked off the voting rolls. If you're elderly or you're a student, names, odds are you're going to be challenged. Get ready and make sure that you're registered. So thank you, Winona. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Steve in Chicago. Hey, Steve, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's up? Uh, I'm really suspicious of the uh, vote totals for both the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire. And I know that they had an exit poll for New Hampshire, and it covered, like, all these different demographics and stuff, but they never said who they were voting for. They never gave a their own percentage rundown of, of the vote choose. Right. I don't know if you've come across anything about that. Well, what happened was exit polls always were, you know, used to call elections. And, and uh, typically the networks would call elections based on exit polls. They did it through the 80s and through the 90s. And in 2000, the exit polls in Florida showed that uh, Al Gore was clearly president. And for a brief moment, the, the networks called Al Gore as president. And... And then it turned out that, you know, it wasn't Al Gore as president. And then in 2002, it got even worse. And in 2004, it got terrible. The exit polls showed um, that uh, John Kerry overwhelmingly won Ohio. 
when in fact the official total that Ken Blackwell, the Secretary of State of Ohio, gave us was, no, 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 it was George W. Bush, and that's why he's getting reelected as president. So the guys who own the uh, exit poll companies, specifically Warren Matofsky and Stephen Edison, um, they were, that was the biggest company, but also the, the smaller exit polls that were being run uh, actually by some of the newspapers and, as opposed to on behalf of, um, they didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to do. They, you know, how is it that our exit poll is suddenly wrong? And they didn't know about the voter suppression that was going on. And, and, you know, of course, some of us also thought that the voting machines were rigged. And so they came up with this new theory called the shy Republican theory that uh, Republicans in red states that have re- Republican secretaries of state are just uh, too embarrassed to tell an exit pollster that they voted for Republicans. So they lie and they say they voted for the Democrat. And, and they, this has been what they've held to for, for 18 years now, uh, this position. And as a result of this, after an election, say the exit poll showed that Hillary Clinton won Florida, which it did, and, but the actual vote count showed that Donald Trump won Florida, then the exit poll companies actually, quote, adjust, end quote, their numbers after the election's been called. And so that their exit polls, you know, comport with the actual results, which is a crime, in my opinion. It's just absolutely wrong. And, and I'll tell you, going back in 2005, uh, I believe it was, a group of hosts from Air America Radio, and I remember it was me and Randy Rhodes, I remember those, those two, and I believe Sam Cedar was there, and I don't know if Al Franken was or not, but there was a bunch of us, we went to Washington, D.C., and we had a meeting with a bunch of Democratic senators. Bernie was there, uh, he was in the House at the time, um, but uh, there were a bunch of uh, Democratic senators, and we raised this issue, this redshift, you know, how is it that the exit polls in Ohio showed John Kerry won, but, you know, George Bush is president? How'd that happen? And shouldn't we be yelling about this? Now, back then, we thought it was rigged voting machines. And one of the senators, uh, she said to, to our group, she said, you know, if American voters think that their vote doesn't count, they're going to stop voting. And that's been, and so we're not going to talk about this. And that's been the official position of the Democratic Party up until around 2018. And the person who broke that logjam was Stacey Abrams down in Georgia, who just came right out and said, this election is being stolen from me, and I'm furious. And we need more of that. We need more people talking like that. But that's what's going on, Steve, and that's why it's going on. Hey friends, wanted to give you the latest news about my good friend Bill Press. Bill no longer does his progressive morning show, but that doesn't mean he's gone away. No way. He's now out with a great new podcast, The Bill Press Pod, dropped twice a week. Check out The Bill Press Pod for Bill's interviews with some of the country's leading progressives like Maxine Waters, Mark Bocan, Jamie Raskin, all roasting Donald Trump. Plus his lively end of the week roundtable with three of Washington's top political reporters commenting on the latest craziness from the White House Congress and the 2020 Democratic primary. For years, Bill Press has been one of the leading progressive voices in our country, so I'm so glad he's still out there on the left and stronger than ever. I encourage you to join me by subscribing to Bill's new podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcast, search for the Bill Press pod, click on subscribe, and you're in for a true progressive experience on the Bill Press pod. Check out Bill's new podcast, The Bill Press Pod, dropped twice a week. Tom Hartman here with you. And uh, Robert in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Robert, what's up? This election is so important, and you know how the Republicans are gerrymandering and voter suppression is very high. I just feel like after Super Tuesday, and I can't remember, recall if uh, this is traditionally what happens, but whoever our Democratic uh, forerunner is, whether it's Bernie, Buttigieg, Bloomberg, whatever, um, that I think is very important to name a vice president, their running mate at that time. I agree. I agree. Particularly uh, since the, just, the, the front runners are all over 70 years old. Yeah. And... And and Bloomberg's birthday is today. He's now officially the same age as Bernie. Wow. But, and there's no clear front runner for us right now, you know? Um, well, no, Bernie is a clear front runner. He's 10 points ahead of anybody else. He's, you know, 29, 29% for Bernie. Yeah. Well, uh, it's close. And, you know, we've only gone through uh, two 
primary caucuses or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's not like someone is way out ahead. I mean, and, you know, with the polls, exit polls or whatever, you know, it's just from last uh, presidential election, you know, how everybody had Hillary ahead and this and that. It's like, it's hard to believe anything, you know. It really is hard to believe anything. And so I just think it's important that, you know, the uh, vice president uh, running mate is named immediately after yeah. the Super Tuesday. Yeah, and, uh, I, I, I completely agree with you, our, Robert. And, yeah. and, and I mean, you live in Oregon. You don't have to worry about double-checking your voter registration and all that kind of nonsense. But, you know, talking to your friends in social media or whatever, you know, acquaintances, relatives in other states, be sure, particularly if they're in a state that is controlled by a Republican secretary of state, um, make, have, have them double-check their registration. Robert, thank you for the call. Uh, more than one person on Twitter noting, some of them directing it toward me, that the Republican anti-voting machine is rolling along full steam robocalls going to get out the vote centers where people are trying to take calls from people who want to ride to the back to the to the polls they're slamming their lines so people can't take calls there are so-called security blockades in some place i mean it's just it's totally totally uh well actually i'd say totally predictable and now we get this report this is from newsweek newsweek the Republican National Committee in recent weeks have reportedly funded thousands of automated phone calls. This is the RNC. Newsweek by Christina Zhao have reportedly funded thousands of automated phone calls to jam up the offices of dozens of House Democrats amid the fights surrounding the impeachment inquiry in, into President Donald Trump. Now, this was not about voting. This was about, you know, this was from a couple weeks ago. But, you know, that same machine is what they use to interfere with voting. I said two unnamed sources briefed in the effort told the New York Times that the coordinated phone blast tactic aimed to shape public opinion of the investigation as well as to simply tie up the phone lines of elected officials. Approximately 11,000 calls were reportedly made as part of the scheme. Now, how did they learn about this? They learned about it because a couple of Republican uh, elected politicians, advisors and aides were bragging about it at a, quote, off the record dinner. I mean, this is what William Rehnquist used to do in the 1960s. He'd go into Hispanic and Native American neighborhoods to their polling places. Big, burly, white guy, six foot two, huge, massive. Rehnquist was a big man. And he'd stand in the line and he would demand it every single day. He was a lawyer. He knew what he was doing. I mean, that's how he became Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. This is how he started. And he would say, prove to me that you're who you say you are. I don't think you're qualified to vote. You don't look like you're qualified to vote for me. I hear a Spanish accent. I'm not sure you're a natural-born citizen. He would do this kind of stuff, and it would scare the hell out of people. They would flee the polling place. I mean, he's doing this in line to get into the building. That was Republican voter suppression in the 1960s. That's how they did it. And they were quite famous for it. Some of them got in trouble for it. Most of them got promoted. But we've gone now from that to these far more sophisticated systems. The, the main, one of the main ones that I talk about in, in the hidden history of the war on voting, which I had wanted my publisher to title the hidden history of the Republican war on voting, because there is no Democratic war on voting, hasn't been since the mid-60s. You know, it used to be the D Dixiecrats, the racists in the South used to be Democrats. Lyndon Johnson saw to that. And, you know, since the 60s, the Democrats, the Democratic Party has been the party that has consistently been the party of voting rights. And then you get this BS from people like Donald Trump. He comes out and he says, well, you know, I really won in New Hampshire, or words to this effect, because there were all these busloads of people coming up from Massachusetts to vote in the New Hampshire primary. Because he didn't win the New Hampshire primary. And it's just a lie. It's just a simple lie. But apparently he believes it, or at least he remembers it well to keep reciting it. Well enough to keep reciting it. And I guarantee you a lot of his followers believe it. So when they're stopped at the polls and asked for ID, and when, they're, when they have to jump through hoops in order to vote, they go, well, yeah, I guess this is the price I have to pay to stop illegal aliens from voting or people from Massachusetts coming to New Hampshire to vote. When none of that is happening. These guys have spun this whole yarn, this whole story, this whole tale of the, of the busloads of people. 
And, and frankly, more often than not, it's busloads of black people. And yeah, sure enough, the souls to the polls thing, you know, go to church and then to go to early voting afterwards. And sometimes the churches would rent a bus to do it. It's a lot easier. But, you know, you, to hear Donald Trump tell it, or for that matter, to hear Ronald Reagan tell it, those busloads of black people are going from polling station to polling station. No, it's never happened. It's literally never happened. They invent this stuff out of thin air slap a, a coat of paint on it of racism and trot it out to gullible white people. It is, it is our national tragedy right now. We need to be reaching out to our neighbors and friends and relatives and saying, you know, they're lying to you. That's not going on. Nobody who is in this country illegally is going to risk going to jail for two to ten years just in order to be able to cast a vote. It doesn't happen. It's never happened in any consequential way. The, the, during the most aggressive, I mean, George W. Bush fired seven out of the 100 federal prosecutors because they refused to redirect the resources of their offices to investigating whether there was, quote, voter fraud, whether non-citizens were voting in the states where they were the federal prosecutors. He fired seven of them because they said, this is stupid, and replaced them with toadies who would. And then he spent something like $70 million over a two-year period having those people find these illegal voters so we can prove to the American people this is going on. George W. Bush did this. A huge effort, millions of dollars. A hundred federal prosecutors. And what did they find? They found a guy from Germany who had a green card and thought, therefore, he could vote, and he voted Republican. They found a guy from Australia who had a green card, thought he could vote, and he voted Republican. To the best of my knowledge, they didn't find a single person from Mexico who was here illegally voting. Maybe one or two. I don't know, but the peak of any year of prosecutions for people, quote, illegally voting, was, as I recall, somewhere between 13 and 18 people. Nationwide, it doesn't happen. You are more likely to get struck by lightning than for a person who is not qualified to vote to vote in your town. It doesn't happen my new book, The Hidden History of the War on Voting, Who Stole Your Vote and How to Get It Back, is out. And I wanted to tell you the most explosive stuff in the book. In fact, basically one large story from it. There's a, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, in the book, we go all the way back to the Constitutional Convention. We explain the Three-Fifths Compromise. We explain the, the Electoral College and how it came about and all that kind of wonky stuff. But I think the red-hot stuff is this. Let me just share with you uh, four sentences from the book. This is from page 92. If you got your copy today, the, today is the day that if you bought it through the mail, it's getting delivered. And, you know, if you're going to a store, you can go pick it up. This is from page 92, top of the page. In the 2016 election, the exit polls showed Hillary Clinton carrying Florida, 47 to 46%. There's some fractions in there, but I'm not going to recite them because it gets confusion, confusing. 47 to 46%, although the, quote, actual, end quote, voted, counted vote, had Trump winning by 49 to 47%. Trump gained two and a half percentage points somehow, magically. In North Carolina, exit polls showed Clinton winning 48 to 46%. But the votes that were counted turned out with Trump's 49 to Clinton's 46%, a redshift of 5.9 percentage points for the, the GOP. Pennsylvania's exit poll showed that Clinton won 50.5% to Trump's 46.1%. But when eligible votes were counted, in quotes, Trump carried the state 48.8% to Clinton's 47.6%, a redshift of 5.6 percentage points. In Wisconsin, it was Clinton beating Trump in the exit polls 48 to 44 percent. Yeah, Clinton actually won Wisconsin. 
But the so-called real count, Scott Walker's real count, put Trump over the top at 48 to 47%, with a redshift of 5.1 percentage points. Now, why do we call it redshift? Because whenever we see a disparity between the exit polls and what the state reports as the actual count, that disparity, that shift, almost always favors Republicans. And this whole redshift phenomena almost exclusively happens in red states. Now, back in the day, in the early 2000s when we saw this, in the, in the 2000 election, for example, the exit polls showed that Al Gore won Florida massively, tens of thousands of votes. It wasn't until a year or so later that we discovered that Jeb Bush had taken a felon list from Texas, from George Bush, the governor of Texas, and compared it with his voters list in Florida, where, where Jeb Bush was governor, and thrown all those people off the Florida voting rolls who had names similar to the Texas felons. And because Hispanics derive all their names from one language, Spanish, and the majority of African Americans derive all their last names from one language, English, you have a relatively small name pool for Hispanics and, and African Americans in the United States, whereas Caucasians come from you know, langu you know, language groups including Slavic and Russian and Scandinavian and Greek and Polish. And, you know, I mean, it's all over the map. So there's huge diversity among white names. So they didn't get bounced off the, off the voting rolls in Florida, but black people and Hispanic people sure did. Now, in some states, they actually count provisional ballots, but in most red states, they don't, unless the election is contested. So if you're given a provisional ballot in any of these red states, your vote never gets counted. In 2004, going into the, you know, at the end of the election, John Kerry, they were, you know, lost by, as I recall, around 160,000 votes. There were about that many provisional ballots that literally were never opened. John Edwards, on this program in 2004, was yelling and screaming about it, saying we need to have an audit of the vote in Ohio. Those provisional ballots are never counted. Well, why did those people get provisional ballots? Because they weren't on the voting rolls. Why were they not on the voting rolls? Because the governor of Ohio had thrown them off the voting rolls because they lived in areas that were heavily Democratic, heavily urban, or heavily black, or heavily Hispanic. It's just that simple. Our election system has been rigged by the GOP. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Uh, Jania, am I saying that right, in Charlotte, North Hi, Carolina? Yeah, yes. Well, Tom, I just want your take on this, and I'm, I'm sure you're very familiar with North Carolina. Um, there was a race between McCready and Dan Bishop mm -hmm. that the Republicans um, <laughs> foiled, basically, and Dan, Dan Bishop got it when... Obviously, McCready won, and what happened was, and, and I don't know if you're familiar with this, but they uh, they were paying people for their absentee ballots. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, there was a big and, scandal. Yeah, yeah that, I remember. Exactly. And instead of giving it to McCready, who honestly had so many votes anyway, the legal right way, they did a, a another vote. And some people I, I know directly could not take off to go vote. You know right. what I mean? And so it was just... It just wasn't fair. And so all I'm saying is, is North Carolina, is they're very busy. They are so busy uh, messing with our votes. And I, one, one of my other questions is, um, right now, what's going on is the Faith Power Pack. And I wanted to make sure I said this to all our listeners, especially in North Carolina. Faith Power Pack, they are endorsing um, some Democratic um, uh, people. And it's because they're trying to fracture the vote um, and take it away from the stronger candidates hmm. as far as our Senate race is concerned. So I just want people to be aware that when you're watching the endorsements, check out who who it's from. Hmm. And, and we just have to not be lazy and do our research on it, okay? Like uh, this, uh, one of the senators that's in the racing, her name is Erica Smith, and the... Uh, the commercial, well, commercial, the um, endorsement goes on to say she's one of us, blah, 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 all this stuff. And she's not being, it, it's, it's endorsed 
on the Republican side. You mm. know what I mean? And so yeah. it's just it's just misinformation, and they are busy. And so uh, this is what I want your take on, if you don't mind. I just want to know what can you give a couple of suggestions on um, if our if one of the races gets stolen again from us, especially in North Carolina here. What's some ideas or best way to mobilize effectively? Join the Democratic um, Party. Join your local, uh, you know, good government organizations. Become part of Indivisible or MoveOn.org or Black Lives Matter or what? You know, I mean, find find an okay. organization that's doing good work. It's a shame Acorn is gone. They they were the premier voting organization in the country before right. Fox News took them down. But in North Carolina, the ex this is from my book. Uh, in North Carolina, the exit poll showed Clinton winning 48 to 46 percent. But when the votes were counted, yeah. Trump came out 49 to 46 percent. That's a 6 percent right. shift, 5.9 yes. percent shift. That's a sign of voter fraud. We stopped or, you know, the world stopped an election in Ukraine back in 2004 based on that kind of vote shift. You know, there's there is election fraud going on in North Carolina, Jania. I, I guarantee you. So but but find a local group to get active with that, that shares your values and your concerns and and do it. Jania, thanks so much for the call. It's great to hear from you. Frank in uh, Woodland Hills, California. Hey, Frank, what's up? I'm gonna pick, by the way, I'm picking up uh, your book on voting today. Cool. Uh, but I was hoping if you, yeah, I agree. I was hoping if you could probably do a quick rift on uh, the Electoral College. And yeah. before you do, uh, have you noticed that uh, this is the only uh, guy in office that is, his hair has never turned gray, like uh, whether it's Bush, Obama, everyone, Clinton, this, this guy's here. Yeah. You don't know. I mean, but anyway, back to uh, that's just a little humorous point. I yeah, no, I, I get but, uh, it. So here's the deal with the Electoral College, Frank. Um, at the founding of the Republic, when the, you know, or not the founding, really, this was a few years later, but it was when the Constitutional Convention was happening in Philadelphia in July of 1787. I mean, it lasted throughout the summer, but this debate happened in mid-July. And the, the debate was, how do we, if we're going to elect a man who, or a woman for that matter, but, you know, obviously back then they all thought it would be a man forever. Um, if we're going to elect a man to be essentially pseudo-king, you know, to have extraordinary power in the executive branch of government that executes the laws, that runs the police, that is the commander in chief of the military. How do we make sure that the public elects a worthy person, a person who, in the words of George Mason, is not a drunkard? How do we make sure that people know who these candidates are well enough to be able to make an informed choice? And at that time, our country, which was basically the eastern seaboard, you know, these 13 states, our country was larger, I believe, than any other Western country in the world. You know, it's like the, the eastern seaboard states are multiple t times the size of France or England or Germany or, you know, they're, it's huge. And, and how do you have somebody who's, who's you know, running for office in, in New York City, which was the capital at that time, or Washington, D.C., which was the capital just a few years later, how do you have somebody running for the, that office and have somebody way down in Georgia or way up in northern Vermont or New Hampshire be able to know whether this person has high moral character, whether they're a person who's worthy of the most powerful position in this new country? And so the idea was we're going to come up with, we're going to do two things. Number one, we're going to ask communities to elect a person or select a person who has never held political office. You, it, right in the Constitution, it says that electors, people in the Electoral College, may not be politicians. They may not have held public office. Somebody who's never mm. held public office, who has no dog in the fight, and we're going to send that person to Washington, D.C., and we're going to tell them our preference. We're going to say, we would like you to vote for Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, whatever it may be, or George Washington or, you know, uh, Alexander Hamilton. Mm -hmm. But you may choose somebody else if when you get there and you interview the actual candidate you discover that that guy actually is a drunkard to use george george oh, mason's term and so the 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 electoral college was meant you know back in the day when it took three days for the news to travel from one end of the country to the other and newspapers were all regional there were no national newspapers that it was a safety valve it was it was a protective system it was and it was designed for that and it, and it worked reasonably well to do that for the first you know 
50 years or so. But by the time we, you know, we had national newspapers, we had a railroad system across the country. I mean, by the time of the Civil War, at least, it was a complete anachronism. There was no need for it anymore. And now it's being manipulated by the Republican Party. George W. Bush got 200, uh, excuse me, yeah, no, 2 million fewer votes than Al Gore, according to the exit polls, and a half million more votes, excuse me, Al Gore got 2 million more votes than George W. Bush, according to the exit polls, and a half million more votes than George W. Bush, according to the official results. And with Donald Trump, it was 3 million votes, right? Um, and the Electoral College is a complete anachronism now. It's, it's, it's no longer appropriate for this era. In fact, it's an impediment to real democracy. You can't call yourself a real democracy if the people who the majority vote for are not the people who are in office. It's just that simple. And the way to fix this is to go to nationalpopularvote.com and check it out and Amen. then lobby your local state legislators. Now, you don't have to in California, Frank, because your state has already yep. joined this compact. But anybody else who's listening, go to nationalpopularvote.com. And if your state has not ratified this convention, start calling your state senator and your state representative in your state governor's office. Bruce in Clinton, Iowa. Hey, Bruce, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. Hey, I realize an Iowan having uh, concerns about the accuracy of the Nevada caucuses is probably the last thing anyone wants to hear. Uh, but <laughs> oh, may, actually, but I, you have you you have unique authority to speak, Bruce, <laughs> being from Iowa. Well, well, here's here's my concern: the procedure of having people already voting before they have the debate. Because I think you're going to have skewed results. I think the results that came in prior to the debate are going to be very different. And afterwards, I think Senator Warren in particular is going to get a bump yes. that's going to be much higher than before. And it just seems to me that procedure is wrong. Well, you know, perhaps. On the other hand, you've got to provide for people who can't take the day off and go caucus. That means early voting. So, frankly, Elizabeth Warren, in previous debates, she had been the one who was trying to play peacemaker. When Pete Buttigieg tried to attack her, you know, she'd been trying to play peacemaker. And this time she took the gloves off. And we saw the Elizabeth Warren that had those Wall Street guys when she was grilling them before the Senate quaking in their boots. And I was so glad to see that Elizabeth Warren show up. She really knows how to take people down. If she is the nominee, or Bernie is the nominee. Either way, I mean, and Bernie was on fire too in the debate. Either one of them will reduce Trump to cinders. I'm very concerned that, you know, Bloomberg demonstrated that he couldn't do that. And, uh, you know, obviously Tom Steyer is kind of out of the race and, and uh, some of the other candidates. And I, I just, you know, if you want the most electable candidates, those are the two that not only have the passion themselves, but have passionate followers. And people say, oh my God, Bernie bros. What, you mean a candidate who engenders passion, often misplaced passion, but nonetheless passion in their voters is not the person that you want, is not the person who's gonna win elections? Come on, give me a break. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 